Hello, and welcome to this morning's edition of 5 at 8. Today is Monday, October 2nd, 2023, and I'm Mark Overman, joined by my co-host, Linda Carlisle. In this episode, we'll talk about Serbia's increased military deployment near its border with Kosovo, Australian billionaire Gina Reinhardt's stake in lithium miner Liontown Resources, the announcement of the India-Middle East Europe Economic Corridor, the alarming rise of firearms as the leading cause of death among children and teenagers in the United States, and China's dismissal of a U.S. State Department report accusing the Chinese government of expanding disinformation efforts. Story number one. According to the Washington Post, both the United States and the European Union have expressed concern about Serbia's increased military deployment near its border with Kosovo. The Kosovo government has called on Serbia to withdraw its troops and demilitarize the border area. Tensions have escalated following a violent clash in northern Kosovo between armed Serb gunmen and Kosovo police officers. Serbia denies training the group responsible for the violence, and Kosovo is investigating possible Russian involvement. The U.S. has observed a large deployment of Serbian troops along the border, including advanced artillery and tanks. Efforts to normalize relations between Serbia and Kosovo have been unsuccessful. Would you believe it, Linda? The tensions between Serbia and Kosovo seem to be escalating with Serbia's increased military deployment at the border. This is definitely a cause for concern, don't you think? This situation is quite complex and has deep historical roots. After Kosovo declared independence from Serbia in 2008, the relationship between the two has been strained, to say the least. The recent incident involving the Serb gunmen and Kosovo police officers only adds fuel to the fire. Yeah, and it's not just a regional issue. The international community is also being drawn into the conflict, with NATO announcing plans to beef up its peacekeeping force in Kosovo. And then there's the alleged Russian involvement. Serbia is Russia's main ally in Europe, and there are fears that Moscow could use the unrest in the Balkans as a distraction from the war in Ukraine. Additionally, Serbia has been reinforcing its troops with equipment mainly purchased from Russia and China, which further complicates the geopolitical landscape. I see. So, the situation is not just about Serbia and Kosovo, it involves these major global powers as well. But, uh, what about the efforts from Washington and Brussels to normalize relations between Serbia and Kosovo? Haven't they reached a tentative agreement? Indeed, they did reach an agreement as part of an EU-mediated dialogue. However, the two sides have failed to implement it. The truth is, these kinds of conflicts are rarely resolved quickly or easily. They involve deep-seated historical grievances, cultural differences, and geopolitical interests. That's why the involvement of international organizations like NATO and the EU is crucial in facilitating dialogue and fostering peace. Well, let's hope for the best then. The world definitely doesn't need another hot spot of conflict. Thanks for shedding light on this complex issue, Linda. Of course, Mark. It's important to stay informed and understand these issues as they have far-reaching implications for global peace and security. Let's continue to monitor the situation closely. Story number two. According to Reuters, Australian billionaire Gina Reinhardt's Hancock Prospecting has increased its stake in lithium miner Liontown Resources, bringing it closer to being able to block a $4.3 billion bid by U.S.-based Albemarle for Liontown. Hancock now holds a 12.4% stake in Liontown, up from 10.7% last month. Albemarle, the world's largest lithium producer, is seeking to secure supplies of the key electric vehicle battery metal. 
Hancock has also stated that it may seek a position on Liontown's board and help the company bring its lithium resources to production. Has anyone noticed how this entire situation is almost like a high-stakes poker game? Gina Reinhardt's Hancock prospecting is like a seasoned poker player, steadily increasing its stake in Liontown resources. It's clear that they're strategically positioning themselves to block Albemarle's takeover bid. Now, I'm no Nostradamus, but if they reach that 15% stake, I reckon they'll have the upper hand in this corporate face-off. That's an interesting way to put it, Mark. It's not just about winning the game, though, is it? The stakes here are incredibly high, and not just for these corporations. We're talking about lithium, a critical element for electric vehicle batteries. This tussle for control has much wider implications. It's about securing resources for green technology, and that's something that affects us all. Oh, absolutely, Linda. The need for lithium is only going to skyrocket as the world moves towards cleaner energy. And this is making lithium a highly sought-after commodity. I mean, it's not just about the Benjamins. It's about being part of the green energy revolution. But here's the thing. Liontown's capital cost for their Kathleen Valley lithium project has increased, and Hancock is pointing out the risks of this venture. Hancock's warning about significant execution, operational ramp-up, and market risks does raise some valid concerns. The projected capital cost could exceed $1 billion, considering inflation over time. This is a significant investment even for a large corporation. But again, we need to remember what's at stake here. It's not just about corporate profits, but rather the future of green energy. Right you are, Linda. And it's important to remember, history has shown us that where there's demand, supply will follow. So even with these risks, I think we'll see more companies investing in the lithium game. And let's not forget, competition can be a great motivator for innovation. It's a tough road ahead, but I believe we're heading in the right direction. This is much bigger than Hancock, Liontown, or Albemarle. It's about the increasing interdependence between corporate interests and the demand for sustainable technology resources. It's a complex issue, and I believe it will shape the future of our economy and our planet. Story number three. The India-Middle East Europe Economic Corridor, IMEC, has been announced as a new transport corridor to bolster trade and communication links between Europe and Asia, as reported by the BBC. The project, launched during the G20 summit in Delhi, is seen by many as a counter to China's Belt and Road Initiative, BRI. However, experts believe that IMEC is not on the same scale as BRI and is unlikely to be a game-changer. China's BRI has already invested over $1 trillion and has the participation of over 150 countries. IMEC's Memorandum of Understanding lacks detail and the project faces geopolitical complexities and logistical challenges. Despite this, IMEC's ambitions extend beyond trade and economics, aiming to include areas such as electricity grids and cybersecurity. Whoa, this India-Middle East Europe economic corridor, IMEC, is a pretty big deal, huh? It's being touted as a counter to China's Belt and Road Initiative. What's your take, Linda? Yes, certainly, Mark. These infrastructural initiatives are pivotal in shaping the global economic landscape. While IMEC is being seen as a counter to China's BRI, it's important to note that these projects are not just about infrastructure and trade, but they also reflect the power dynamics and the shifting centers of global economic influence. Yeah, I guess it's not just about building roads and bridges, right? But let's not forget the BRI has been around for a decade now, and it's got a pretty big head start. Can IMEC really compete? While it's true that the BRI has a significant head start, and has made considerable progress, 
It's also faced its fair share of criticism, from lack of transparency and disregard for local needs to environmental impact and debt traps. IMEC, being a newer initiative, might have the chance to learn from these issues. However, it's important to remember that these projects are complex and require significant political will, financial capital, and careful planning. So, it's a bit too early to predict the outcome. Right. It's definitely not a two-horse race. I'm intrigued by the geopolitical dynamics involved. Navigating ties between partner countries like the U.S., Israel, and Saudi Arabia, that's gotta be tricky, right? Geopolitical complexities are inherent in such large-scale initiatives. Balancing interests among countries with divergent political stances is a delicate task. It's not just about the economics of it, but also about maintaining alignments and alliances. It's a delicate and nuanced process that can be fraught with potential conflicts. So, it's not just about the nuts and bolts of building infrastructure, it's also about diplomatic finesse, huh? It's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds. Thanks for the insights, Linda. It's a multifaceted process with a lot of moving parts, but that's what makes it so fascinating and significant in the context of global geopolitics and economics. And you're welcome, always happy to delve into these complex issues. Story number four. Firearms have become the leading cause of death among children and teenagers in the United States, surpassing motor vehicles. According to the Gun Violence Archive, at least nine children and teens were killed by gunfire on the first day of 2023, and over 1,300 children and teens have been killed by guns so far this year. The number of gun deaths among U.S. children and teenagers has risen by 50% between 2019 and 2021. In a report from CNN International, it is stated that CNN is publishing a series of profiles of gun victims to shed light on the devastating impact of gun violence on young lives. The aim is to focus on the personal stories and highlight the scale of the issue rather than engaging in policy debates. What a heartbreaking way to start the new year, Linda. It's just dot 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 IT quote S, just devastating. This report about Amethyst and the many other young lives tragically lost to gun violence. Every single one of these stories, you know, they're not just numbers. They're kids. They had their whole lives ahead of them. Yes, Mark. These stories, they... They remind us of the profound human impact behind these statistics. Each number represents a life cut short, a family torn apart. It's a stark reminder that these aren't just policy debates. They're people's lives. Yeah, and you can't help but notice the trend, Linda. The number of gun deaths among U.S. children and teenagers rose 50% between 2019 and 2021. That's... that's staggering. We've got to do better. Couldn't agree more, Mark. The fact that firearms have surpassed motor vehicles as the number one killer of children and teens in America, it's a chilling reminder of the urgency of this issue. We should be looking at all the contributing factors here. Lax regulations, societal norms, lack of education about firearm safety. It's time for some serious introspection. Absolutely. And while we're at it, maybe we could take a page from the Book of Countries with stricter gun laws, see how they're faring in terms of child and teen gun death rates. Maybe there's something we can learn there. By understanding how others are addressing this issue, we can potentially improve our own approach. At the end of the day, it's about enhancing safety measures, protecting our children, and preventing such unimaginable losses. Story number five. China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs has dismissed a U.S. State Department report accusing the Chinese government of expanding disinformation efforts as, in itself, disinformation, as reported by CNN International. 
The report, issued by the Global Engagement Center, alleged that China spends billions of dollars annually on foreign information manipulation and warned of Chinese leader Xi Jinping's efforts to shape the global information environment. In response, China criticized the U.S. for engaging in propaganda and infiltration, referring to it as an empire of lies. The ministry claimed that the U.S.'s attempts to label other countries as sources of disinformation are seen through by people worldwide. How about this, Linda? The U.S. State Department accuses China of expanding disinformation efforts, and China in turn labels the report as disinformation. It's like a high-stakes version of he said, she said. But it's important to remember that this isn't a schoolyard argument. What we're witnessing here is an escalating conflict between two major world powers, each accusing the other of spreading disinformation and propaganda. Right, and it's not just about finger-pointing, is it? The report mentions this concept of digital authoritarianism. Can you shed some light on that, Linda? Sure, Mark. So, digital authoritarianism is the use of digital information technology by authoritarian regimes to surveil, repress, or manipulate domestic and foreign populations. The U.S. accuses China of using these tactics not just internally, but externally as well, to control information and shape global public opinion. Hmm. Sounds like a modern take on the age-old practice of propaganda. But with the addition of the digital platform, I guess the reach is much wider, isn't it? Exactly. The shift from traditional to digital platforms has exponentially increased the speed and breadth of information dissemination. This can be a double-edged sword. It has the potential to democratize information, but it can also be used to spread disinformation rapidly and widely. And I suppose China's not the only one playing this game, if we look back at history. I mean, disinformation and propaganda have been tools of warfare for ages now. You're spot on, Mark. Every major power has, at one point or another, used some form of propaganda or disinformation to further its interests. However, the difference now is the pervasiveness and the immediacy of the digital platform. So, where does this leave us, Linda? You've got two major powers accusing each other of disinformation, a public that's caught in the crossfire, and an information landscape that's more complex than ever. What's the impact here? Well, Mark, the implications are multifold. On the international front, these accusations can strain bilateral ties and alter global power dynamics. Domestically, they can influence public sentiment and national security. And on an individual level, they can impact how we perceive and engage with information, making media literacy more important than ever. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.